Are you glad to be here? Good. So am I. You know, you ought to be glad when you come together. There should be an expectation. If you're not expecting something, you shouldn't be in church. If you have no expectation, then why gather? Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. When we come together, there must be an expectation because the only reason we gather is that he might be where we are. If any two or three of you come together, I will be there in the midst. That's why when they threw them into the fire, you could not burn up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they had already become a church. So the furnace became a sanctuary. (laughs) And the flames became the choir. If we gather in his name, he says, I will be where you are. So where you are becomes where I am. So everything that was built to destroy you becomes a witness of your victory. Because he's there. If we really knew what we carried, if we really believed what he said, we changed the world. The world has never had more power than the kingdom. It sits in you. The very glory of God. I'm going to talk about two things. Two things, and they're going to interconnect. The first thing I'm going to talk about is the seat of power. When they walked with Jesus, they made this comment to him over and over. And I love being in a school because my love is teaching. I love to teach. I love the word of God. I've spent my life loving his word. Because the thing that transforms you the quickest is the word of God. If the word can wash your brain, your brain will become supernatural. If the word cannot change your thinking, you will be frustrated the rest of your life. To live in church frustrated means you have not agreed with what you heard. To be in church and be frustrated is not the fault of the preacher. It's not the fault of the people around you. It's not the fault of society. It means you've heard word, but you haven't yet agreed with word. The moment you agree that this spirit and life is in the word of God, the moment you agree that these words have power, the moment you agree that whatever comes out of God's mouth can change anything, at that moment, frustration breaks off you like an old jacket and you step into your new wardrobe of supernatural life and you become the absolute threat to the enemy and the joy of heaven. The moment you believe the word. Because the word works if you work it. (laughs) Oh, it works if you work it. Yes. They're standing around Jesus and they make this statement to him, the disciples. They've watched him move in power. They've seen him. He's raised the dead. He's cast out devils. He's cleansed lepers. Miracle after miracle over and over and over. It is a systematic release of kingdom power. And Jesus is doing this on purpose to rewrite their brain. You have been in the synagogue, but you haven't seen God come down. So I need you to know that what you've seen is not your normal. That the one who gave you the tablets, the writing, was Moses who abided in the glory until the glory lived inside of him. Until he had to put a veil over his face because glory burned out of his skin. Until he had to go by himself because when he spoke, it sounded like glory coming down. They were afraid of Moses because it was too much glory in one man. And the problem was God called six million of them to come up to the mountain together. And five million, nine hundred ninety-nine thousand all said, Moses, you go. That's too much for us. Imagine one man went up, but a whole nation was called. So it is today in the church. We have too few who go up and too many who watch. When we are a nation of kings and 
priest. Ah, so every one of us was created to be a priest, to abide in the glory, to see the interchange of heaven with earth, to be dripping with fresh oil, to wear the garments of praise and righteousness. And every one of us was created to be a king, to decree, to release, to transform, to initiate, to impact the world. Every believer is a king and a priest. A nation of kings and priests. So he said, everybody, tell your mama, tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell the people you don't even like (laughs) that they were made to be greater than they know. That is the secret of the church. How we bring transformation is not telling them what they're doing wrong. How we bring transformation is to look someone in their face and say, you don't even know what you were made to be. There is greatness on the inside of you. There is a king inside of you. There is a victory inside of you. And I'm not going to get stuck looking at your now. I'm going to tell you what I see in your future. If we could do that, we would pull them by multitudes up out of the old. Every sinner knows they're sinning. People know they're crazy. I mean, come on. People know they're crazy. You know when you was crazy, you knew you was crazy. You know on your worst day, you looked in the mirror and said, man, I need to change. But you knew you was crazy. Nobody had to tell you you was crazy. You knew you was crazy. Now, why do we suddenly that we've encountered God think it is our God-given mission to tell the rest of the world they're crazy? (laughs) Words do not change people. Encounters change people. And there needs to be a God encounter with people that leaves them speechless. Where they go home saying, I don't know what just hit me, but it felt like God. I don't know how I got this footprint on my forehead, but Jesus stepped on my life. (laughs) We need some real encounters. So Jesus is walking along and his disciples see this glory. And then the disciples have this magnificent moment where he says, now what's on me? I put on you. They go about doing good, healing the sick, casting out devils. They come back to Jesus. And then we get to this moment. They have this divine conversation. They said, the disciples get together. They're talking to each other one morning, you know, some fried fish, some cornbread by the ocean. I'm just saying, you understand. All right, this is a righteous man here. May you live forever, sir. May you live forever. Uh, That's one of the reasons why I love Jesus. Every other chapter, he's making food. I'm just saying, it's biblical. It's biblical. And he fried fish. I don't know where he got the oil from, but in my version of the Bible, it was fried fish. Catfish, preferably, but you know. Not everybody in Israel knew how to pray him in, so. (laughs) Now, the disciples are talking, and they say to each other, we've got to find out the secret of his power. So they say to Jesus these words that transform the rest of how we live. Jesus. We've seen you walk in miracles. Jesus, we've seen you raise the dead. Jesus, we see you know things beyond human knowledge. Teach us to pray. Uh, They didn't say teach us how to be anointed. They didn't say teach us how to cast out devils. They didn't say teach us how to heal the sick. They didn't say teach it. They said the one thing we know about you that's different than everybody else is when you talk to God, stuff happens. When you go get on your face, heaven shakes. When you go whisper to the Father, the earth gives up its dead and dead men get up again. When you go whisper to him, the atmosphere changes. We don't understand. We've been praying our whole lives. Nothing happens. Teach us how to pray. Jesus said, I need you to learn this model. Not that you will pray this prayer, but this is a model. 
The first thing Jesus prays when he teaches them the modus operandi of heaven, the way heaven works, he says, when you open your mouth to God, your first statement must be our father. We can finish right here. It's not, it's not even going to take two hours. We can do this in about 15 minutes. Now, I'm still going to be here for a little while. Though, don't get your hope up. Don't get your hope up. I saw some of you like, oh, he's going to finish early. Oh, he, no, 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 no. That's the first lie. The first lie of every preacher is when they say they're almost done. That's the, ah, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm going to be closing soon. He's lying. He's lying. He's lying to you. He's lying. He's lying. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm almost done. That's 15 more minutes right there. That's 15 more minutes. In my closing, every preacher has five closing. Yeah, five, five, five. He said, our father. Now, this was something that was transformative and powerful. When Jesus made the statement, our father, it was impossible for a Jewish person at that time to call God father. Because they believed God had no children. God, had, God was one. God is one. For the Lord our God is one God. So how could God call us sons? We cannot pray and say he is father. Jesus said your prayer will not produce until you recognize you have a relationship that you never knew was existent. You must now change your mentality. And when you approach God, you are not coming to him as a being he created to be one of the things that served him. You were created to sit at the table, eat from his hand, crawl in his lap, hug on him and receive face to face encounters. He said, your life begins to change when you stop being an orphan. Ah. The seat of power is that we must believe we are not orphans. That we are absolutely included in the family of God. Absolutely. I want you to just turn to someone and say, I am his child. Mm -hmm. Now, here's, here's, where, here's where trouble starts. Here's where trouble starts. Everything in life has been trying to convince you you're not. Everything you have experienced up until now is to get your mind to disconnect from heaven's reality. So we think about trouble more than word. We think about fear more than faith. We think about loss more than blessing. We think about future trouble more than future encouragement. So we spend our time building an atmosphere mentally where we feel like God has got to show up somewhere in my future. Now, do you know if you're always looking for God, that means you don't believe you carry him? <laughs> if you're always looking for a new anointing, you don't believe the one you have is sufficient. If you're always asking God for more fire, you don't believe the flame you have burns. Uh, I was praying one day. I said, Lord, send the waters. Send the waters. The Lord said, I said, there's a river inside you. You're praying for a cup of water, and I got a river in your belly? And I heard the Lord laugh at me. He laughed at me. He laughed. It was not encouraging. When heaven laughs at you. I said, you're laughing at me. The Lord said, oh, you are funny. <laughs> I said, I need you to move. He said, where am I? I said, I don't know. He said, then how am I talking to you? I said, oh. Well, you're here. If I'm here, why am I not moving? I said, well, I don't know. He said, when you figure it out, tell me. <laughs> I said, wait, wait. You're here. Yes. But you're not moving. No. 
I said, but you're moving enough for me to hear you. Yes. But that doesn't make sense. I know. <laughs> so why am I not moving? I don't know. And the Lord said to me, think. What is the one thing that is constant at all times? I said, you. He said, no. I said, me. Yes. He said, I move or don't move based on how you believe me. He said, this is what the Lord said. He said, I have made myself a hostage to your faith. It is not the place you are in. It is not the atmosphere other people create. It is not the mentality around you. It is what you believe can happen at that moment. Yes. Amen. Oh, 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 oh. oh we're going to walk. <laughs> Jesus said to them, I'm going to tell you how to walk in power the rest of your life. And it is not connected to how you've seen me do. It's connected to what you think when you talk to him. If you believe he's your father when you say father. If you believe that heaven will move when you say come Lord in all your glory. If you believe the devil must obey you when you say I command you now take your hands off their life. If you believe angels are showing up when you whisper worship and call out on my name. If you believe that heaven shakes at the sound of my name I will cause mountains to move on your behalf for if you believe you shall see the glory of God. So it's connected to what you believe. No one can rob your progress or steal your destiny. Nobody can break your promise or rob your future. What do you believe? He took men who no one respected and made them the anchor of a movement. He took people who could not argue with rabbis. Well, they were ignorant and unlearned men and made them the voices of transformation. He took men that were rejected and made them the signpost of eternity. He wrote his name upon them, put his glory within them, lifted them up in front of the world and said, if you want to see what I can do, look at them. And they had no resume to be respected. All they knew was he told me that this is my father. He said that he is my elder brother. He's ripped me out of hell and death, put me in the middle of a new family, given me rights and privileges. And what I saw was he said, I am now as he was. So I have no choice but to believe. If he did it, I can do it. That's what happened to 11 men. The 12th joker, yeah, you know, he took himself out. But the 11 who took him at his word changed the world. The question becomes, have you convinced your mind to believe your spirit? Is this, is this helping anybody? Is this okay? In the supernatural realm... The first thing that must happen continually and repeatedly is you must teach your soul to obey your spirit. If you don't master your soul, your soul will argue with your spirit and you will always live in almost. Almost had a healing. Almost had a miracle. Almost saw a breakthrough. Almost saw them saved. Almost had revival. Almost saw the glory come down. Almost change a nation. Almost save a city. Almost, almost. Almost is the sign that your soul is louder than your spirit. Almost. Almost. Almost is I know God can move, but when I start praying, ah. Oh, but will he move through me? You almost had it. Almost is a sign that you know God will bless others. 
But you start to sow and give, but in the back of your mind, ah, but we've gone through this before. I just don't know if it's going to happen. You almost had prosperity. Almost is a sign that you're praying for your children, praying for your family. You've seen God set others free, but you have lived with their dysfunction long enough that their dysfunction is whispering in your mind while you're praying in the name of Jesus. And you almost had deliverance. Almost. Because what we listen to and give authority to is what will manifest. Almost. I'm almost persuaded. Paul, Paul, I'm almost persuaded. You've got me on the edge of my seat. I'm almost convinced to be this Christian thing you're talking about, but just not there yet. Almost. How many have lived in a place called almost? I know I have in my past. And what transitions us is there must be a moment when you sit in the presence of God And come to the revelation that you are not adopted. You are not visiting the house. You are not a cousin to Jesus. You know how you have cousins come to visit? Yeah, cousins, yeah, cousins. I got cousins come to visit, you know. You fix them a real nice meal, but you put everything out at the same time because you want them to eat quick and go home. You know, when you go to someone's house and they've already got the cake and the pie sitting on this side, but they lay out all the food here, that's a sign that they need you to know as you get get everything at the same time. Because you're going to sit down once and you're going to leave twice. We need you up out of here. Because you know when people come you really like, you don't even bring the pie out. You eat and you tell them there's pie later. Because you need them to be ready. We're going to make coffee. We're going to eat pie. We're going to talk for a while. But the people you just socialize with, all the foods out same time. <laughs> I need you to know, don't, don't, park, don't park nowhere far. You leaving quick. <laughs> I even got takeaway plates for you. Yes. <laughs> So I can let you know. I know you ain't done, but you're going to have to you just take that with Finish it in the car. <laughs> Even got sliced bread for you. You can turn it into a sandwich. I know you didn't finish eating, but make it for a sandwich. Just hold it in your hand while you drive. Just going to be all right. <laughs> I know we in church, but you can have fun. You can't have fun. Oh, Lord, I was miserable before I met him. I ain't going to be miserable now. And so God comes in, and he takes hold of us. And he says to us, everything in the kingdom is connected to if you believe you are now family. The idea of family changes the level of what you will produce. The idea of family. Jesus makes these statements. I'm just going to talk for a little bit more, and then we're we're going to do some Holy Spirit stuff. (laughs) Jesus says, you've come into the kingdom, and the first mindset we have was servants. We come in as servants. Okay. But I want to go one step beyond that. I want to go back to what Paul now writes about when he talks about you have been set free by the spirit of adoption. Because before that, we were slaves. Ah. So now, in our brokenness and sin nature, we were slaves. Slaves to obey whatever was in us. We were in bondage. Slaves. In bondage. Couldn't be free. Slaves. Now, the first thing that's important is you cannot walk in a place of sonship if you still have a slave mentality. A slave mentality is I am always waiting for someone to tell me I'm wrong. I'm always waiting for someone to tell me I've made a mistake. I am in bondage to my dysfunction, so I see you through my own chains. Ah. So my perception of you is always connected to 
the greatest pain in my life. I cannot perceive you as being good to me because if you speak any correction, everyone I've ever trusted wounded me, so I see you as another enemy. I see through my pain. I see through my wound. You're now married, but you're making your husband or your wife suffer for what the last person did to you because you're seeing through your wound. God has brought you now into a place of authority and leadership, but you always talk like everybody else is against you and you can't work with people and they're mistreating you. And the people go, I'm just trying to love you and work with you. And you're seeing them through your past pain because you came up in a family that never affirmed you, never loved on you, never blessed you. So God has now given you spiritual family, but you're making them walk through the pain of what your physical family did to you. So now I'm seeing through my pain. I'm a slave to my past. As a slave to my past, I will always hear my life with the ringing of the chains. Every step I take, I'm connected to what I am a slave to. If you don't recognize, you're not a slave. A slave. Every decision I'm going to make in my future, I make it based on my last great trauma. Ah. Depending on what I've walked through that has been traumatic, I make my decisions based on that trauma. So if something has created fear in me, I don't go out after a certain time at night and I can't go too far and I can't get on a plane for more than two hours and I can't go out on the water because in my past, I almost drowned. So now I'm afraid of water. Or planes because confined spaces. Or traveling by myself because people left me. And so I make my future decisions based on my past trauma. Because I am still a slave. He says, you are sons and daughters of God. Yet God speaks over us prophetic promises and decrees. We hear these promises but we filter them through our trauma. If I am still a slave in my mind, if I am still controlled by past fears and trauma and issues, then I am taking life-affirming words, filtering every word through the sieve and the sifting process of pain. So God gives me a great word, and instead of running toward the word, I go, what will it cost me? That's hearing through pain. God says he's going to use you for ministry, and I go, oh, how much responsibility will that be? I'm hearing through pain. God says he's going to send you to another nation, and I go, oh, God. I don't know anyone there. And what if I get there and there's no money? And what if no one supports me? And what if no one's with me? Now you're hearing through pain. Because if I know I am a son, not a slave, then if he said, go, ooh, what new territory do we get to take over? And if he said, go without money, how are you going to bless me? Let's watch this work. Whether a raven drops down a sandwich or you multiply fish and loaves or you just keep me full like Moses for 40 days, I trust you. You're my father. So let's do this together. How you hear is based on how you see yourself. Because he is constant, never changing. The same God that took care of Moses is the same God that takes care of you. The same God that spoke to Daniel is the same God that speaks to you. The same God that for Gideon is the same God that fights for you. The same God that raised up Joseph is the same God that raises up you. The same God that put power in the hands of his servants and gave dominion to Abraham and gave wisdom to Joseph and gave multiplication to Isaac that gave words to Malachi and Micah, Zephaniah and Zechariah is the same God that sits in the middle of your belly and directs you every day. And he says, if you can see me like they saw me, I'll use you the same. Perception. What do you see? What do you see? So he says, you must now believe you are no longer a slave. A slave 
walks with the sound of chains behind them. What does that mean? First thing we know, how you are not a slave in your thinking is your language about you changes. What you say about you changes. Ah. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just so, just always broken, but I'm just so glad the Lord uses me. You're not broken anymore. You're not. I just, I just, I just, I just don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know nothing. I don't see nothing. I don't have nothing. No, you've got everything. You've got everything. You're full of everything. That's what the Bible says. He has given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's what the word says. The word says that he dwelleth in you richly. That's what the word says. The word says you now carry Christ in you bodily. That's what the word says. The word says you have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of resurrection. He dwells in you. How can you have all of heaven and still think you have nothing? So the first revelation is what you say about you. I'm not moved when I hear people talk about God. Because we've all learned how to talk about God. I wait until people talk about them. Because once you really meet him, you understand. Paul said, I was a murderer on my way to kill Christians. But God in his loving kindness, took me out of the hand of the enemy, raised me up into a new kingdom, and now I recognize I was born to be an apostle from my mother's womb. So he now goes all the way back. Do you realize when he would write the letter and say, I, Paul, called from my mother's womb, he was actually erasing his past? He said, before you write me back and say, aren't you the murderer? I was called in my mama's womb. Before you remind me of my mistakes, I was called in my mama's womb. Before you bring my past up, I've met him enough times in his glory. He's convinced me I am not who I actually used to be. So before you say, aren't you? Listen, that guy died. You don't have no power over me. You can't remind me about my past. You can't hold me hostage to my yesterday. Even if I was in jail with you, that smug shot is no longer me. (laughs) If you can recognize that you died. Now the journey begins. You are no longer a slave when you recognize you died. You died. You know, the problem with most of us is we've never had a good funeral. You've got to have a really good funeral for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Before you can have the first party in the promised land, you've got to have the last funeral in the desert. <laughs> God himself announced the last funeral. God shows up and says, hey, Moses is dead. (laughs) They said, what? And before they could start crying, God said, don't you start crying. I've been waiting. I've been waiting to kill the last one so I could give y'all what I said is yours. The last funeral is the release to the new party. You can't have the first celebration till you have the last funeral. Some of us need to have one last funeral. 
Because we've heard the revelation, we've heard the teaching, we've read the books, we believe we're royalty, we believe that we are created to walk in his image and in his power, we believe that he rests on the inside of us, we believe that the Holy Spirit is now in us, we believe the word, but we've never had a moment where that belief means this old me no longer has power. This me is dead. This new me lives on. So it is not I that liveth, but Christ that lives in me. So I've got to have a moment where the slave version of me is laid to rest. And I look and go, I say goodbye to the fear, the rejection, the unbelief, the brokenness. This was who I was made to be by family and life. But this is who he says I can be by power and victory. So I say to the old me, you have no more permission to talk to me. For there is now a new me. And I have been risen in baptism with him. Now the moment you begin to talk like that, your mind begins to yield to your spirit. Your mind begins to yield. When your mind begins to yield, faith becomes easy. Faith becomes easy. Faith should not be hard. Faith becomes easy. Faith should be your normal reaction to every tragedy. Worship should be your normal response to every moment of God. Praise should be what comes upon your lips when fear speaks to you. Every time fear speaks, you should break out in praise. That's how you make fear leave you alone. Fear will stop talking when praise is your response. When fear says to you, you're not going to have enough. God, I thank you. You are my supplier. You are my reward. Your children are acting crazy. Lord, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I thank you. They're doing all right today. You don't have enough money. Hey, God, I bless you. I thank you that everything I have sowed into your kingdom is coming back. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. People are looking to bless me. I thank you. Fear starts going, we need to leave them alone. You can make fear afraid of you. (laughs) Oh, yes, you can. You can make fear afraid. (laughs) You can make doubt doubt itself. You can make the spirit of doubt begin to go, "Mm, mm, 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 I can't mess with them. Mm, 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 mm." I doubt this will work on them. (laughs) Yes. Yes, you ought to believe the word so much that you make sickness afraid of you. Oh, yes. What you believe determines what you will see. What you believe. It's the word of God. So what do you believe? Jesus said, our father, our father. So I'm going to say this. I'm I'm almost done. I hear unbelief in the room. I hear it. Amazing, amazing. A group of believers in this much unbelief. I don't understand it. (laughs) The Lord spoke to me one day. He said, for you to go deeper, you must recognize that there are times when your childhood is trying to affect your adulthood. Our father. I have a very good father. My dad is a good dad. He's a good man. He's a good man. He's a pastor. He loves the Lord. And anyone who's met him has understood this man has walked like Jesus since before I was born. I love him. My mother was crazy. (laughs) My mama was crazy. My mama was certifiably out of her head. 
When I was seven years old, my mother got addicted to drugs and disappeared. She sat us down one night for dinner and told my brother and I, I'm going to get bread. I'll be back soon. And we sat there waiting for about an hour, a little while. And then my dad comes home and he says, where's your mother? Because he had gotten off second shift. We said, well, she said she was going to get bread. He said, all the stores are closed. And I drove past the store. The car isn't there. So for four years, we thought that our mother had been murdered. Because we could not find her. No one could find her. They searched for her. The police looked for her. No one could find her. At the end of four years, they found out that my mother was in a women's correctional facility in South Carolina because she had been arrested for selling drugs. My mother got hooked on drugs and then began to partner up with the group that was selling her drugs to begin to keep it flowing. And they created a B&E ring, breaking and entering. They were breaking in the homes all up and down the East Coast, go up to New York and take the goods they had stolen, sell it, take the money, buy cocaine and heroin, sell it all the way down the East Coast, then do it all over again. So now we went from thinking that my mother was dead to people informing us, oh, your mama's a drug addict. Oh, if your father really had faith, how did this happen? Oh, you boys are going to be just like your mama. Because my mother's family has had five generations of addicts. My father's family, five generations of preachers. I said to my dad one day, how in the world did you end up with mama? I said, you are a praying person. He said, well, I wasn't saved. I said, but dad, he said, your mama was fine, son. Your mama was fine. <laughs> hey. He said, if I got to be honest, he said, your mama was fine. He said, now I realize fine ain't worth your future. Ah. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I'm going to help some of, you, some of the younger ones now. It is better to marry and get with someone that needs makeup but got the right spirit. <laughs> I hope you follow what I'm saying. All right. Might not be the best looking, but they can get you to your destiny. I'm going to make a statement to you. My father said to me growing up, he said, son, you got to understand as a man of God growing up, he said, you have to look for a Proverbs 31 woman. He said, if all you after is breast and thighs, go to KFC. <laughs> that might have been too much for you. I don't know. I'm just trying. I'm trying to help somebody. I'm trying to help you. <laughs> Keep your integrity. Keep your mind right. <laughs> It'll save your future. So we then hear, <laughs> my mother's in prison. They had caught her. She had become the driver for these folks selling drugs. They caught her because her car flipped over on the freeway. She's crawling out of the window as they're putting a gun in her face, and they take her into prison. While she's in prison, we now hear all of this, and they're saying, you're going to be just like your mama. Y'all are never going to have anything. We lost our home. My father lost the vehicles. We had to live on a couch in his sister's house for two and a half years as he rebuilt, rebuilt all the finances. And in the midst of that, I watched him trust God. In the midst of that, he believed the Lord. But what I didn't know until I became an adult and walking with God is that series of events as a child of watching drugs destroy my mother's family and people die of overdoses and people stand up to argue with each other and their hearts explode because they were hooked on something. 
of watching trauma over here, but watching the glory of God in my father's house, of watching my aunt begin to pray, who she had traveled with A.A. Allen, and she would begin to pray, and the glory of God, the Shekinah, would literally fill the house. We watched white billows of smoke fill up the house when she would pray. Of watching my uncle bring in cripples into the house, Uncle Henry Claybrooks, and he would lay hands and say, now in the name of him whom I serve, I command you to stand up and walk, and cripples leap up off his couch and begin to dance around the house of watching power darkness in one side and light in the other the lord said i let you grow up this way on purpose to let you see what each kingdom can produce the choices you make will determine the future you live nobody can take your future from you and nobody can give it to you. You have to choose. And in the midst of all of that, one day the Lord said to me, I am going to bless you. I want you to get on a plane, and I'm sending you overseas. I had no money. I'm telling you this story for a reason. I had no money. I get on a plane. I'm heading over to Ethiopia, going to Addis Ababa. I get to Ethiopia, and the Lord has told me that he is going to bless the people, tell all of the people to gather. I had sent a message to one woman who I had never met. I said, the Lord has sent me with a word. And the Lord says, if you'll gather people, he will do great signs and wonders. She took it on faith. I had met her through one other minister. We had never met personally he gave me her email i sent the word <laughs> i get there i've got no money i had nothing prepared it was my second mission trip and i'm by myself now i get off the plane and there's a man waiting for me one of the colonels he says are you Dalton, I am. Come with me. Yes. I'm going with him. I think, I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> he takes me to a little mission house, and he says, we'll be here tomorrow to get you. Excellent. Where are we going? He said, well, we've gathered 300 pastors because you said you had a word, and the 300 pastors will be waiting for you. He said, and they're expecting signs and wonders because you said God was going to move. I said, awesome. He left the room. I said, oh, God. <laughs> what are we going to do and the lord said you said i was going to move i said yeah he said you better hope i do <laughs> i'm going to say to some of us one of the reasons why it's so difficult for us to believe is because we've not put ourselves in position where faith must work One of the reasons why people often say, how come we see so many signs and wonders when we travel overseas but we don't see them here? Well, I see them here. You see them here. The reason we see them often more over there is because when we go on a mission trip, mentally, we've changed our thinking because we have begun to agree that there he will move for me because those people need this and this is not an option. This is the only answer. When we pray often in America, we've already had in our mind that there are four other options if God doesn't move. Lord, I sure hope you heal, but if you don't heal, I know there's a doctor. I have insurance. I've got a plan. Options stop miracles. You have to pray like he is the only answer. You must believe like he is the only source. What happens here affects what happens here. I'm over there in Ethiopia and I'm asking the Lord to move. I stand up the first day and I'm praying. Nothing happened. Nothing. Crickets. Crickets. And I'm, I'm walking back and forth. Father, move. Where are you? 
At the end of the prayer, this is what the Lord said to me. He said, you're talking to me like you expect me to fail you, like your mother failed you. I said, what? He said, you have built in your mind that when you approach me, I am just like the parents you have known. So you have hope that I move, but expectation that I might not. He said, so you have made a comparison that I am like them. He said, I am not like any human. I have no shadow of turning. So when you call me father, remove from your mentality that I might run out of money, that I might not move, that I might not heal, that I might not answer. Remove from your mentality that I am like the parents you have known or the people you have seen. He said on their best day, they are manifesting me. But on my worst day, I am greater than anyone you've ever known. He said, so you must see me. Not like them, but greater than them. It broke my thinking. I said, Lord, I've been limiting you. He said, every person, when they first meet me, compares me to who they've known in their lives. He said, I need you to take the limits off of me. And when you talk to me, believe that if I've got to kick down a wall to move for you, I'll knock a building down. That if I've got to rain fire down to show the nation that I heard your prayer, I'll send fire for you. That if I need to raise the waters up to be a sign and a wonder, I'll raise them. He said, do you understand that all of creation is under my authority and I will make nature speak to you so that you know. I, he said, I sent a bird to a prophet with a sandwich. Can you imagine being in prayer and here comes a raven over your head carrying a hamburger? The Bible says he had bread in one hand and meat in the other. I mean, that's a sandwich. The bird is flying above him. He got a Big Mac in his claws. The prophet goes, what is this? The bird goes, Caca! and here comes a Big Mac. <laughs> See, we don't perceive the way we need to. Your perception will determine your connection. Your perception determines your connection. How you connect to God is based on how you perceive him. Remove every limit you've ever put upon him. He is good. There is no evil in him. There is no trickery in God. God didn't put you in that trouble. He didn't put you in that pain. He didn't lock you in those traumas because he was trying to tell you something. I, I want to make that clear. God is so good. God can speak through thunder. He speaks through lightning. The heavens declare his glory. The earth reveals his creativity. God can make someone have a dream about you, make an enemy give you a word, have a child that doesn't know you whisper a word in front of you, speak to you in the middle of your spirit, speak in the middle of creation. He will make a donkey talk to a prophet who's not listening. And you think God has to use trouble to talk to you? We don't read. <laughs> God will allow the trouble to reveal wisdom because all things are going to work for good. But God doesn't need to use trouble to talk to you. God is big enough to just speak. God spoke to Pharaoh, Cyrus, Nebuchadnezzar. And you don't think he can speak to you and you're born again? That's because we're not yet convinced that he's father. Because if he's father, he wants good for me. Ah. If he's father, he wants to bless me more than I want to be blessed. If he's father, he's dancing over my victories. 
and he's fighting every trouble that's come against me. If he's father, he's written my future more beautiful than I've ever seen it myself. If he's father, he has more in his hand than I've ever had in my house, and he's trying to get it to me. If he's father, his words are true and alive, and they will not harm me, but they will produce life for me. If he's father, he's always trying to do something for my future. If he's father, if he's father, he will not harm me. He will bless me. If he's father, he will heal me, not wound me. If he's father, then he's going to do something good for me. If he's father. I'm going to say this, and then I think we're about to take a break. Okay. I want to do something real quick. I need three young men, real quick. I need three volunteers. Come on. Come Come quick. Come quick. Excellent. Come on. Come on. Good, good, good. Excellent. Okay, stay right here. Good. Yes, sir. Perfect. Why is everybody taller than me? I don't have to pray about this. Now, here's how God looks at us. God says, you are a son, not a slave. You're a son. You're an heir and a joint heir. Okay. In the kingdom, you are a son. Now, to be a son means I have been born into this relationship. I did nothing to earn it. Your children did nothing to be your children. They're here because of you. Your covenant produced their existence. Covenant produced their existence. The fact that you are born again means covenant produced your existence, which means everything in the kingdom belongs to you because you had no choice in this. God made covenant with himself. Covenant produced you. The father and the son made a covenant. Ah. The father, when he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. So God said to himself, I will make myself a promise. Jesus said to the father, if you make this covenant, I will fulfill it. Mm. So the Bible says Abraham laid out the pieces of the sacrifice and God met himself in the sacrifice. When Abraham laid out the oxen, the bullock, the goat, it was ox, excuse me, the oxen, the goat, it was the ram, yes, the pigeon and the dove. So he lays these out, five pieces. Okay. I'm going to restrict myself. I'm not going to take off running. But the five pieces were fivefold. It's the first time fivefold ministry is truly seen. God says the proof to you that I am going to increase your seed in the earth is there will be a fivefold ministry to create sons for me. So he lays out the five pieces and God, not Abraham, God puts Abraham to sleep. Get him out the way. That's why we have to know when the Holy Spirit moves and he lays some of you down, it's the only time you don't argue. We need the Holy Spirit to move. It's the only time you stop talking. (laughs) So God, thank you, Lord. Now, it says a smoking furnace and a flaming torch. The furnace is God the Father. The torch is Jesus. How do we know that Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. I'm the burning torch. The word is a lamp unto my feet. The word, Jesus was the word. So the torch is Jesus. The furnace was God the Father. The furnace, out of everything, the furnace, everything is birthed from the furnace. It is the kiln. Israel was birthed in the kiln, in the fires of God's own will. So God the Father is the furnace. Jesus is the torch. So the father and the son met in the sacrifice. 
God said, when I could swear by no one greater, I swore by myself. What was he swearing? The father said, hmm, if you go to die, I'll forgive him. Jesus said, well, if you forgive them, I'll empower them. Okay. Well, I'll give them the power of the Holy Spirit if you give them your nature, Jesus. Well, I'll give them my nature if you give them the same gifts that I carry, Father. Well, I'll give them the gifts, but you've got to give them the fruit of your character. Well, I'll give them my character if you give them my position. Well, I'll give them your position if you give them your passion. Well, I'll give them my passion if you give them my rights. Well, I'll give them your rights if you give them the reality. And they swore to each other and made covenant. So out of that covenant, sons. For Jesus saw sons that would come to the Father. You are not a stepchild. You are not an orphan. You are the exact creation Jesus saw when he made the decision to die. You are the desire of the Father. You are the true desire of the Son. You are everything that heaven wants. If you can see that heaven was longing for you before your mama met your father, you would never again feel rejected. You would take your place in the kingdom and say, everything I did before I met him was simply the increase of my testimony. I am who he says I am because he and the father made a covenant just for me. For me, I was born. Remember, you weren't even alive when they made the covenant. Which means God gave you life to become part of what he created. So I'm a son. But because I'm a son, now Jesus says I'm an heir. Ah, an heir. What does that mean? Everything in the house is mine. I'm an heir. Now, to be an heir, somebody just has to die. Well, you didn't kill him. You did not kill Jesus. But you receive everything that his death brings. Now, if you are an heir, do you have to perform to be an heir? You were just born. That means it's just yours. That means you don't have to do anything to be anointed. You don't have to do anything to receive the blessing. It's yours. Because covenant has given you inheritance. And a stranger shall become a son. Religion convinced us that we were outside of the family trying to get in. Jesus says, you're in the family trying to get out. (laughs) Could you just believe you're in the family? If you're in the family, you're an heir. It's yours, which means you'll cast out devils, you'll heal the sick, you'll raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, speak with new tongues. If you drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm you. Why? That's my inheritance. As a believer, these signs follow me for being a believer. Believer is a son. Uh, If I am a son and an heir, I'm a joint heir. All right, my last statement, and then we're going to take a break. If I'm a joint heir, the joint heir means I am, as an heir, somebody had to die. As a joint heir, somebody's still alive. (laughs) To be an heir, someone had to die. To be a joint heir, I'm sharing with someone who's alive. Ah. Jesus said, 
I'm giving you permission to everything you've seen me do on earth. That's now your inheritance. But then he said, but wait a minute, I'm going to get up. And when I get up, I'm going to share with you in my current state. So now I'm seated with him in heavenly places, partaking of the heavenly realm. So the glory that no one could walk in because they had not yet encountered the blood of Jesus. Jesus said, disciples, what you've seen me do, you're going to do. That's your heir. That's your inheritance. But I'm going to give you more than that. I'm going to give you a down payment of a kingdom you've never tasted of. I'm going to let you walk in heaven's glory. I'm going to let you walk in angels being in your house and revelation filling up your life. I'm going to let you speak over nations and nations change. I'm going to let you prophesy to cities and they come into revival. I'm going to let you have a co-position with me that you are seated with me in heavenly places. Not later, right now, right now, right now. So if I'm an heir, my faith produces everything his faith produced. But if I'm a co-heir, that means all the treasures in heaven operate for me now, not later, now. Because where is he seated? In heaven. So where is his ruling from? Heaven. So what's his inheritance now? All of heaven. Sit thou at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So I'm seated with him now while he's making my enemies my footstool. Oh, that's what you have now. Son, heir, joint heir. That's who you are. You are not outside the kingdom. All from one prayer. Father, how do we pray? Our Father. Amen. Yes, sir. Thank you.